Warning. By listening to the conversations on this podcast, you will begin to live the intrepid way. Life is short and moving fast. Only we can show you how to fully integrate a new business mindset coupled with a lifestyle design that will equip you with a new approach to overcoming and in fact thriving on the daily grind of life. And now, here is your host, Todd Schnick. Good morning and welcome back to the Intrepid Way podcast. I am your host, Todd Schnick. I first became aware of uh, today's guest several years ago. In fact, tried to get him on the show about a past book he wrote and we never got connected. But I was so thrilled to, to find out about the latest book, which is so perfect for certainly my life right now. And I imagine significant part of my audience is going to benefit from this message. And there's actually... Actually, this thing is appropriate to everyone listening, and we'll get into that in a minute. But going to be a great conversation. You're probably familiar with this guy. Let's welcome Chip Conley. He's the founder, and formerly of Joie de Vivre Hospitality. He's now a strategic advisor with Airbnb, and he's a best-selling author, including the latest book that's about to come out called Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. Chip, welcome to the show. Todd, it's an honor. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you making time to join us. I know you're an awfully busy fellow, so grateful for you swinging by and giving us some of your time. I imagine some of our audience is familiar with you and your work, but just in case, take a few quick secs. Tell us a bit about um, what you're out there doing. Well, I you know, I, I spent 24 years being the CEO of a company I started, Joie de Vivre. We created 52 boutique hotels, almost all of them in California. Then I sold the company in the wake of the Great Recession, and I really wasn't sure what was next for me. You know, there's a great quote from uh, Robert De Niro in the movie The Intern, and he says, musicians don't retire, they quit when there's no more music left inside of them. (laughs) And I knew I had music inside of me, I just wasn't sure sure who to share it with. And um, that's about the time that the three young millennial co-founders of Airbnb approached me, and they had a small tech startup. This is about five and a half years ago that a lot of people didn't know about, um, but was growing pretty quickly. But no one in the company had a hospitality or travel industry background. So five and a half years ago, I joined them sort of on a stealth basis, part time and quickly it became full time. And uh, I became the head of global hospitality and strategy and the mentor to Brian Chesky, the CEO. And I spent four years doing that. And then the last year and a half, just uh, as a consultant and advisor to them. Outstanding. Well, that De Niro quote is a great way for me to kick off this conversation because I think the principal message of this book that we're going to talk about today about, I think there's most people in business think the music's going to end and it has to end. And so they have to ponder this retirement or this, the end of their career where they become less and less relevant, certainly in their minds. I think the point you make in this book is that you can keep making great music as long as you want to. I think that's a <laughs> that's a great way to probably kick off the conversation. But the book, again, is called Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. So, Chip, normally when I interview someone, they've written a book about leadership development or marketing and sales or innovation or creativity. And we all know there's a thousand titles on Amazon about those same things. So I always ask a question, well, why did the world need another version of that? But I don't know that there's a lot of books that kind of take your approach and and have a a very specific kind of a target market, if you will. But why? Tell me about the give us an overview of what the book's actually about. And why did you need to do this? I needed to do it because I felt pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's a, you know, this is my fifth book and I, each time I write a book, there's almost like I got inseminated somehow and I, I have to let it out. This one of all the five I've written is the one that felt the most like I had a sense of responsibility to write it. And the, the logic was this, is we're all going to live maybe 10 years longer than our parents. And yet power in a digital society is moving 10 years younger. So what that leads us to is 20 years of additional irrelevancy, or what I call the irrelevancy gap. And it's usually in midlife. It's usually, for some people, it may be as early as 35 years old. If you live in Silicon Valley, or if you're in the entertainment industry or advertising industry, you can start feeling irrelevant in your mid-30s. And for some people, it's much later. And of course, many people will end up working until they're maybe mid-70s, which is a whole new phenomenon. Because everybody used to think retirement started at, at 65. Well, if you're going to live to 100, you can't. Very few people can actually save enough money to actually not work for 35 years. So, long story short, is I started asking this question: How do we create a new intergenerational collaboration? Uh, we have five generations in the workplace for the first time. I'm a boomer. The co-founders of Airbnb are are millennials. They have some amazing wisdom especially around digital intelligence and millennial lifestyles and, you know, sort of the culture, pop culture of the moment. But I have something to offer them too. I have emotional intelligence, leadership strategy, and frankly, something that we get as we get older, which is the, what's called gist thinking. It's the ability to think in systems and holistically. It's because your brain, as you get older, you may have much less memory, but you may be, and so your recall may be slower too, but your ability to actually use going from left to right brain ambidextrously in a way where you go from left to right, left to right, it's like all wheel drive on the brain. You do that better as you get older, which means you can think in a more holistic way. So long story short is uh, the book is really a book written for everybody, but uh, particularly people in midlife who are imagining how to repurpose themselves uh, for the second half of their life. So let's let's unpack that very quickly because that's an important message here. If you're listening and you hear, all right, the subtitle is the making of a modern elder. So I'm 28 years old. This isn't for me. And I think that's very, very wrong because I think the key message of this book for me was, and one of the things we're going to talk about is, is uh, constant learning and how you should remain curious uh, up until the very end. Yeah. But but the point is this intergenerational collaboration, which we're also going to talk about, is essential because we have we all have something to learn from every generation, and and so this isn't a book about how to be a modern elder, which means you teach, but that one of the I mean half the book is about learning, yeah, about continuing yeah. to evolve, you know. So so that's an important message. And so one one final point, then I'll let you comment, is. Yeah, so this book is for a guy like me who's 49, who's now kind of pondering that, that second half of the career and how do I maximize that? How do I remain relevant? Yes, but two, I think this book is also for the guy who's 25 years old saying, all right, here is a book that kind of guides me on how I can leverage those older generations and really learn a lot from them, right? Absolutely. Going back to the elder phrase, first of all, elder... Calling a book uh, with the word with using the word elder scared my uh, publisher yeah, yeah. <laughs> because elder and elderly sound alike, but they're really two different things. El elderly is when you get to a stage in life where you really do need support of other people to help you, and that can be just you know frankly for in modern society it's usually when you're 75 or 80 years old and after. But the elder, you know, we have we live longer, and you know we're going to be an you can be an elder at age 45 if you're surrounded by people who are 25. 
so I think the elder of the past was all about reverence. We revered our elders. But today I think the modern elder is about relevance. And relevance means you need to be curious. And the idea of curiosity uh, for me at age 52 joining Airbnb for the uh, joining a tech company for the first time I realized I was way out of my comfort zone I, I had to learn a whole new lingo uh, around the tech industry so if I thought that the elder a the older person in the room or in the company was supposed to know it all I would have made myself feel quite anxious so I, I realized quickly that I needed to intern publicly and mentor privately. And what that really means is that I needed to be very comfortable with the idea of asking a lot of why and what if questions in public, in meetings. And uh, some of those actually helped us to see some blind spots because I was surrounded by a lot of really smart people. But there was a, there was a, there was a sense of one-upsmanship amongst all these millennials, all trying to be the smartest person in the room. Right. And so the mentoring privately really speaks to the idea that nobody wants to have someone correct them in a meeting, you know, someone, someone the age of their father or mother. And so often I would just sort of have private conversations with some of the younger people I was working with um, when I'd observe something. Like, for example, a 25-year-old might be running a meeting, and there's 12 of us in the meeting, and it's really clear this, this person, this woman's never actually run a meeting <laughs> before and she you know she actually had run meetings before but she never got any instruction on it and so instead of like giving her direction in the meeting and i i don't she doesn't report to me even after the meeting because she and i built a pretty good rapport on some other things i just asked her you know how how'd you feel like the meeting went and and that she was clearly frustrated because it didn't go very well that she there's somebody in the meeting she wanted to have an alliance with and it was clear that they that that other person was not going to do that and so i just gave her some advice i said are you open to hearing some thoughts about how to run a meeting differently and maybe building an alliance with somebody before you go into the meeting rather than trying to do it publicly in the meeting. And we had a great conversation. And honestly, over the next four or five years, I've seen her become superb at running a meeting. So it goes both ways. I mean, I had something to teach but also I had something to learn as well because I didn't know a, a darn thing about technology. Well, a key theme of this is this is a two-way interaction and, and, and you can't you can't do this without understanding that this goes both ways, and that's part of the power of this thing, too. But this idea of irrelevancy, I, I, is it fair to say, Chip, that that you mentioned dinner? Or I, I was thinking of a, of a Jack Nicholson movie called About Schmidt, where he retires from this long insurance career, and then when he goes back and visits his office after a couple months, and he notices all of his files boxed and thrown by the dumpster. We, we all... Is it so? Here's my question: Is it fair to say we all will become irrelevant? That's just the way the natural thing works with the career, uh, especially if you factor in you know all the technological advancing going on here. However, you have the ability to stop that. I mean, is, that is that kind of the that essence of the book? Is how to do that? Yeah, I think you know curiosity is a bit of an elixir for life, and in fact, I think curiosity is at the heart of or sort of fuel for creativity and innovation. So without curiosity, I actually don't think uh, creativity or innovation goes very far. So the, my book, Wisdom at Work, is really about – one of the components of the book, chapter five of the book, is all about learn. And it truly is about how do you get curious again. And um, it's awkward. It is a weird feeling. It's almost like you know we were able to be curious when we were kids and ask all kinds of why and what if questions to our teacher or to our parents. And somehow we think as we get older we can't be curious again. And you know it's – it's quite liberating 
I found uh, in a tech company to actually be open to being the dumbest person in the, in the room, especially when sometimes I, my dumb question was like, oh my gosh, that, that just showed us something we'd never thought of before. So on occasion, your, your curiosity can be catalytic. So yeah, I would just highly recommend for those who, here's the, here's the part that worked for me, and I, this could work for someone else out there. You may be a longtime veteran in a particular industry, and it may be an industry that is in the process of starting to be disrupted. Quite honestly, almost all industries are being disrupted now because technology is allowing for disruption. Yep. Well, in my case, here's these young millennial co-founders of Airbnb disrupting the hospitality industry but having no background or experience or knowledge of the industry. I'm the one who had the knowledge of the industry. I could be helpful to them. You could do the same, but it does require that you get out of the mindset of judgment and sort of judging these millennials or, or also the out of the mindset of the way we've always done it is the way it's going to be done in the future. Well, maybe not. I mean, there are some things that are facts that don't change. Like Abraham Lincoln was our 16th president. But there's a lot of other things. Ask the people who started the Betamax um, <laughs> that things do change or the person who created the fax machine or a few other things. Things do change over time. And your curiosity about how it might change in ways that uh, would help your young disruptors to actually be more successful is possibly one way for you to reimagine yourself in the second half of your career. Well, the only thing that won't change is the fact that there is always going to be constant change. And so unless you embrace that, which is kind of what you're saying with by being curious, uh, then, you, then you will become irrelevant. There's, there's, and that is a fact, in my opinion. Okay, let's close the top half of this segment by the title of the book is Wisdom at Work. And you call wisdom the only remaining national resource that is still growing. What do you mean by that? And why is wisdom so important here? Well, I actually think that, yeah, and, and to that quote, it was really even speaking to the, the fact that we have a lot more older people. And so as we have a growing aging population, that's the natural resource that's growing, and hopefully wisdom is growing along with it. Well, wisdom, so the way I define wisdom is good judgment based upon pattern recognition uh, with a healthy alchemy of confidence and doubt. So if you unpack it, it's good judgment means you have built some judgment over time that allows you to have good instincts. Sometimes it's intuitive, and a lot of times it's based upon experience. Good judgment's based upon pattern recognition. Pattern recognition is one element proven to actually create wisdom. It means you can see a pattern that's repeating itself, and you know what the end result is from the past. Now the risk in that is you judge, you, you judge too quickly or you don't see the pattern properly. But one thing that's absolutely clear is the longer you've been on this planet, the more patterns you've seen. And so being able to see a pattern, whether it's in human behavior or in a business activity, et cetera, allows you to have better judgment and instincts faster. But then there's the um, last piece of it, which is the alchemy of the proper alchemy of confidence and doubt. I actually think this is probably the one that really is most important for people in terms of what you could give to a younger person. Um, what I mean by confidence and doubt is, generally speaking, a lot of people when they're young have a lot of hubris, especially in Silicon Valley, because that's what goes out and excites the, the venture capitalists is when you, know, you have all that confidence and rah, 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 we're gonna, we're gonna take over the world, um, we're gonna change the world, and that leads to 
getting your money from the venture capitalists. And then that confidence leads to, frankly, an unrealistic belief that you actually know it all. And I think the older you get, the more humble you get because you do, you know you don't know it all. And it's that, that proper alchemy of knowing when do you up the ante on confidence versus when do you actually up the ante on doubt. And, and the willingness to argue like you're right, but to listen as if you're not. And that, to me, is wisdom, is when, you he- when someone actually is able to listen really well. W- one last thought on this. I was in Utah recently speaking to a group up in the mountains, and there was a, an owl there. Right before my talk on wisdom, there's a guy with, a, a, with a, an eagle owl. I didn't know there was such a thing, an eagle owl on his arm just resting there, big owl. And so I asked this guy, I said, so why are owls considered wise? Because I'm about to go give a speech on wisdom inside, and here's this <laughs> owl. And he says it's because they're the best listeners. There's no bird in the forest who's a better listener than the owl. That says a lot right there. So that basically says a great wise person is someone who's a listener. And knowledge speaks and wisdom listens. Yeah, yeah. That's a great way to close. All right, Chip Conley and I will return after this short break. We'll be right back. The Stories of Creative Leadership is brought to you by Miles Finch Innovation, a consulting firm that helps clients navigate the messy territory of corporate innovation. They can help develop a better game plan for your company's innovation agenda. Whether it's strategic planning, idea facilitation, or training for creative leadership, Miles Finch Innovation is your go-to partner for getting unstuck and identifying creative solutions to your toughest challenges. Learn more about how they can help you at milesfinchinnovation.com. In a pinch, call the Finch. Miles Finch Innovation. All right. We're back with Chip Conley. He's the author of a new book called Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. So, Chip, over the break, I was thinking about how you wrap that top half on wisdom. Is another way to think about that, this idea of long-term thinking versus short-term thinking? I mean, I think a, a hot shot young entrepreneurial founder at 25 years old he or she is thinking about the next few months right and whereas someone who has gone through a long career and has experienced and and learned a lot of different things and, and seen it all can can really help that younger business person kind of understand and think more about the long term view of things right is is that part of this too yes it definitely is there's a a series of studies that have shown that uh, younger, when, when groups of younger people are in a, a team together, all young people, they make decisions very quickly but the, and they have short-term results. When you actually look at a team that is long-term, uh, I'm sorry, a team that is older, what you see is that it takes them longer to actually come to a decision. And then uh, once they've come to the decision, then it has a longer-term benefit. And so I think that part of the reason that it, for this fact is because when you've been around a longer time, you see, sort of see the long-term effect of things. Or one of the things I say about modern elders is that they are better able to assess the potential collateral benefits and costs of any decision they're making because they can see the long-term effect of things. So there's no doubt that that's important. And there's there's a certain amount of stewardship built into that too as well. I think a modern elder is somebody who is a steward and thinks – about what decisions they make and how it affects the future people after they've left this planet. So I, I do think that this is one of the great reasons why age-diverse teams 
when we talk about diversity in the workplace, often the first thing you think about is gender or race. And sometimes you might think of disabled people, you might, you might think of LGBT folks, but not often do people think about um, age diversity. And yet there's a bunch of evidence that shows that age diverse teams are more effective. And so I think that what I, one of the things I'm trying to do with the book, Wisdom at Work, is to help speak to the CEOs and HR leaders of the country to help them to see that it's really important that we start thinking more broadly about diversity and include age as a, a, a measuring tool as well. So hopefully if you're listening to this, you're beginning to see where this all fits together. If you're if you're young, you hopefully you're seeing the beginning to understand the value of tapping into that older experience who can help you rethink things, reframe things. And if you're aged and you can you can hopefully you're beginning to see the, the impact you can have on a on a young, vibrant organization with a bunch of hotshots trying to move at a million miles an hour. It's fascinating when you sit down and think about how you play these two together, how that's when all of a sudden magic can work. And you share a lot about the Airbnb story. It's a classic example of what you're talking about here. And so just by reading this book, uh, dear audience, you'll you'll get a real hands-on feel of how Chip applied all this and learned all this uh, through his work at Airbnb. I, I guess maybe we should have let off the conversation with this. And you just touched on one of the key elements of it. But someone listening is writing notes and, and they want a definition. Well, what exactly is the modern elder? I suppose one way to do that would be to say, no, there's really five components, right? There's, they have judgment, they have insight, they bring emotional intelligence. And that's something I want to talk about a little bit more. Holistic thinking, which you mentioned earlier, and then you just mentioned stewardship. So it, it, I mean, I guess that's how you would say, or how you would define a modern elder, yeah? Yeah, I, I think a, a modern elder, again, the idea of relevance is so key to it. That I think if, if I really were to distill it down First of all, I think distilling down is what an elder does. I mean, the difference between an elder is, I think, the first half of the life, our life, we're accumulating. And one thing that happens around your age, uh, I'm a few years older than you, Todd, but I, you know, around 50, I actually think people move from the accumulating phase to the editing phase of their life, whether it's stuff or responsibilities. And you know, our 40s is a, in a decade that can be quite challenging in terms of just the the mashup of all everything we've got going on, everything we've accumulated, whether it's responsibilities or things, or people in our lives, and I think that one of the beauties of an an elder is to be able to synthesize and distill down what's important. And one of the things as a modern as a modern elder at Airbnb that I was able to do was quickly see when I joined in early 2013, the company had way too many priorities. It wasn't, you know, it, it's um, if you're saying yes to everything, you're really, you're, you're, you're not doing any prioritization. And so um, one of the first things we did with the senior leadership team and the founders was to do an offsite retreat in New York. We were, were based in San Francisco and we went to New York and spent four days there. And I led a group, I led a discussion on the 23 different initiatives we could do in the, the coming year. And we got it down to four. We said, these are the four we're going to bet on. And we're going to make sure that everybody in the company understands what those are. So to me, the idea of being able to have curiosity about all your choices, but then be the editor in such a way that you edit down to what's important, that's a really a really great quality to have. And, and, and it's one that, frankly, younger people have a hard time living up to because, frankly, there's so many options. And so I th actually think that's another quality of a modern elder. But ultimately, the modern elder is as much a, an 
intern as they are a mentor, a learner as they are a teacher. Well, and you've coined the phrase mentorn as if, if I'm understanding that correctly, kind of a combination of a, of a, of a mentor and a, and an intern. <laughs> it's a great way to think about it. So, all right. So the book is, is organized, uh, really with four key lessons that you're trying to teach these, these potential modern elders. And it's, it's a vol evolution, it's learning, it's collaboration and counsel. Can you, can you give us a, a quick overview of those four key lessons? And then I got a ton of questions about all of that. The first evolve basically speaks to the idea that in midlife, often we have accumulated quite a bit of knowledge and, and roles and identities. And yet in order to sort of be able to start something new, sometimes you actually have to start peeling off some of these identities and, and editing them. And uh, in my case, I had to realize that, yes, I'm a longtime hotelier, but at Airbnb, uh, you know, where it's home sharing, a lot of my knowledge really wasn't that important uh, in the context of home sharing. And so learning how to evolve your identity and be fresh and new and being open to learning something new is the first step. Um, and a lot of people have a hard time with that first step because they're so wedded to their knowledge and their past identities. Second step is learn. And learn is really speaking to the idea of curiosity and saying, okay, how do I create a beginner's mind? Because frankly, when someone actually is curious and they love to learn, they're a lifelong learner, it makes them feel younger. Now, I want to say, you know, there's a lot of people who say, well, I should, I, I'm 50 years old. I guess I should get Botox and in order to, you know, I, on, my, on my LinkedIn uh, resume or my LinkedIn my profile, I shouldn't say what age, uh, you know, what year I graduated from college, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They're going to figure out, if you're trying to get a job, they're going to figure out how old you are. But when you're curious, it takes 10 years off your life. And what I mean by that, it really helps a person feel like they've got a youthful, curious, curious spirit. And to me, that's a really important part of what it means to be a modern elder. Those are the first two. And those are the hardest. Evolve and learn, are, you know, those are somewhat awkward. You almost feel like you're in puberty again and you're tripping over your own feet. But three and four lessons, the third and fourth lessons are a little bit easier to do. The third one's collaboration because, frankly, all, all companies are full of teams and all teams are full of humans. And as you've been on the planet longer, you've gotten more emotional intelligence. And generally speaking, older people are better at collaboration on teams than younger people. So that's a skill you already have. It's a mastery that you can bring to the table um, and your emotional intelligence can help that. And then finally, that emotional intelligence allows you to move beyond the team sport to the one-on-one, -on -one, and that's counsel. And whether you're a mentor or an elder or a whatever you want to call yourself, a coach, your ability to actually give great counsel is to me one of the elements of what it means to be an elder. And so in the book, in chapter seven, I, I give a lot of direction on how people can be a really great coach or counselor. So those are the four, the four steps to becoming a modern elder. All right. Well, we need about five more hours so I can go through uh, with you all the things that I, that I want to talk about here. Where do I start? So I guess with, with Evolve, uh, is it, I think it's, it's the modern business person's typical default mindset that as we age, we just, we no longer are able to evolve, or maybe we're not allowed to evolve. We've had our, we've had our shot. We've had our peak in our career. That's wrong, right? You say evolution can actually accelerate as you age. 
Yeah, I, I think it's so interesting. I was this this last weekend. I was up at a hot springs resort uh, with a guy who's owned it for forty six years, seventy nine years old. His wife is sixty three. I aspire to be them. I mean, it's really interesting how age can be as, uh, aspirational when a person is able to evolve at any age. And this this his name is Dr. Richard Miller, and just a just a creative, curious spirit who's constantly evolving in terms of what he's interested in. So I think the idea of evolution, um, and we're not talking about necessarily Darwinian evolution, what we're talking about here is personal evolution in your process of constantly becoming somebody new. And one of the things that's interesting, Todd, is we're familiar with the word adolescence, although that word is only 110 years old. It was was a book called Adolescence that that brought it to the forefront. And the idea of adolescence was, you know, basically you hit puberty and after puberty, that's adolescence uh, until you become an adult. Well, there's something called middlescence. And middlescence is what happens in the middle of your life. And frankly, there also could be something like puberty. For women, it's menopause. Men also have a sort of a male version of menopause. Whereas in midlife, we actually go through a bunch of changes as well. But we don't actually acknowledge it. And we don't, you know, it's not as obvious to the rest of the world. And so as such, there's an evolution happening in us at all times. And yet most of the evolution that we get used to from the way the world looks at us is evolution of things decaying. But the truth is, as you get older, you become more human and you become more emotionally astute. And I think that's a huge piece of what it means to to be a modern elder. So that's why evolution is really important. You also have to decide to reframe your whole identity. I mean, I, I, maybe not your whole identity, but you, and this goes back to our earlier dialogue around change and, and fear of change and, and the willingness to change. And, and it all feeds into all of this. I mean, this all is correlated. But you, you to, to, best to proceed on this. I mean, but you have to, and that's a scary thing for a lot of people, especially if they've been in a career rut and doing the same thing for 25 years. But you do have to do that, and and that can be almost more internal than external. But but that's part of this process, yeah. Yes, absolutely. It is. This is part of the reason we created something called the Modern Elder Academy down in in Mexico in Baja, about an, an hour north of Cabo San Lucas. Because frankly, all of this is happening sort of privately for people and quietly, and like yet there's these major transitions. You may be becoming an empty, empty nester. You may be changing careers. You may be changing locations. All this transition is happening in midlife, and yet we don't have much in the way of a social crucible to help with that. So we created something, a Modern Elder Academy, where people can come for a week-long program with people in midlife. So we're all supporting each other in terms of people transitioning into new things. Um, It's been really successful. And uh, so the bottom line is the idea that you're in transition in midlife gives you the comfort that something is happening, and maybe it's positive. You know, the... The the, uh, the process of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly is quite messy in the middle. The messy in the middle is uh, chrysalis. It gets really gooey. But on the other side of that, that caterpillar turns itself into a butterfly, and the butterfly is quite positive. And I actually really feel like that's what happens in, in, in midlife, is midlife is this chrysalis that takes you to later life. And later, life, later in life can be like a butterfly. The weird thing is the U-curve of happiness has shown that people get happier as they get older. One of the things that we've been consistently talking about here is this idea of remaining relevant as you age in, in the career path. 
there's a section of the book, it's in, this, it's in this collection of the four lessons, where you talk about, in essence, what we've been talking about here is becoming a confidant to the younger folks in the, gen, in, the, in the organization. And when you do that, and you do that well, and they begin to trust you and, and seek out your counsel, and then you become an even, a, a, I, don't know, I guess, a stronger confidant or a more reliable one. But boy, then one of the great outcomes of that process is you, as people come and seek out your, your counsel, as we talked about, you begin to really get a, a sense of the true pulse of the organization. And when you do that, you are invaluable, yeah? Yeah, that was the part that, you know, I <laughs> I was brought into Airbnb for my my knowledge, but what I think I really offered was my wisdom. And my wisdom sometimes came from the fact that there were so many people asking me to mentor them, that it, and, they, and these were people who didn't work for me directly. It allowed me to have a finger on the pulse of what was happening in the organization. So these three founders who had a company that was doubling every year, getting bigger and bigger and bigger, they were doing a great job of running the company, but they actually sometimes got lost. They lost what, a sense of what was happening within the company because they had to be so externally fa- facing. Um, and so long story short is it allowed me to give some you know, insights about what was happening in the organization because of all of those people coming and asking me if, if I can be helpful as a mentor. So I guess the thing I would just say is that there's a – you know, no one, it's not like young people are geniuses and old people are wise. I mean, there's some young wise people and some old geniuses too. But why not, instead of having wisdom versus genius, or almost like, you know, millennials versus boomers, you know, and, and we always forget about the poor Gen Xers like you, uh, Todd, I'm sorry. Because uh, <laughs> it's a smaller generation. But why not just imagine that we all could, frankly, have a generational potluck and everybody bring what they know best? Uh, so that's that's all I would just say. Well, you made the point, and I think, look, every organization, there's a million books, there's a million podcasts, a million public speakers that talk about how to be a more innovative culture. And I think you make the contention that one of the best ways to do that is to foster this intergenerational collaboration, right? I'm sick and tired of all these books and podcasts about about folk and focused on millennials and how to work with millennials and, and boomers and how you know are they relevant to, uh, then the, now we got this whole new flurry of stuff about gen z and and it just feels combative right and so i think what you're saying is a modern elder a responsibility they can bring to an organization is to be that great facilitator amongst all these generations and then when you're doing that and you do that well Wow, the the power behind that is almost unbelievable, right? Yeah, I mean it's it, it it's not a surprise. It's just it's a new way of thinking. But I don't think historically the way organizations worked is the old, the old people had the power and they had the knowledge, and young people were supposed to listen to them. And that's you know that's that that program is maybe sort of like terminated twenty years ago. And today, especially in a digital economy, frankly, a lot of the wisdom is younger people. And I think what's happened in the last 20 years is there's a sense like, okay, all the power moves to the young people. But, you know, these do we expect these young digital leaders to miraculously embody the emotional wisdom and leadership skills that we've had decades to learn. So why not see this as a collaborative effort rather than somehow all the power going to, you know, to uh, the millennials? Because... I mean, the, the truth is the millennials, would, 75% of millennials say they want a mentor. So a lot of people say, oh, those millennials, they, they, they know it all. They don't want, no, 75% of them said in, in a series of surveys have shown that they actually want a mentor. 
So they, they want to get better at what they're doing, and they also know that some of that knowledge and experience is going to come from people who are older than them. Well, the key is that that young person wants to get better. And if, if there's a young person who doesn't, well, then it's not going to work. Like I said, this has to be a two-way thing. What you're, in essence, asking us is to engage in this midlife awakening, right? I mean, and, and you're, you're saying you have to shift away from this this age-old life cycle, which is education, work, and then retirement. Boom, boom, boom. That's done. That's how it's always been. It's how it always will be. No, uh, you say it's a cycle and it should continue. And I think you refer to it as raw, cooked, burned, and then raw again. Walk through the importance of this message towards our new mindset. Yeah. I mean, again, that the idea that you know the learning time of your life is when you're young. Yeah, that's true. There's, there's, there's no doubt. The brain um, formulates so quickly in our te- in our younger years and our teens, and so of course we learn a lot then. But if we think that the, we turn off the learning at age twenty five, we're idiots because you know you, it's like you fuel yourself, fuel your gas tank up at a up till twenty five, and then you're supposed to drive that vehicle for you know thousands of miles on a single tank of gas. No, the learn, earn, retire three stage life is retiring, that uh, if you ask millennials, they don't believe in that at all, and they're not living their lives that way. And it's part of the reason that we sometimes think that they're sort of weird, because like someone's, take, you know, someone's taking a year off at age 32 to go travel around the world. Like, wait, no, that's when you were supposed to actually get mar- have married, have, be married, have kids, and be responsible, but you're actually going and doing this other thing. Well, good for them. Because I actually think that old model doesn't serve older people very well. Because if it's you learn till 25, earn till you're 65, and then retire after 65, the truth is if you're going to live to 100, 35 years of retirement is going to bore the hell out of you. <laughs> yep. um, so I think the idea that we are just constantly you know, shifting around, learning more, retiring at 42, uh, you know, if you can afford it for six months or even a year or even five years – and then coming back and doing something new is, you know, that, that's what makes life interesting. Well, and if you're listening to this, uh, you, we all know dozens of folks who retired and they haven't had any meaning or purpose. And they're kind of withering away, if you will, however you want to define that. But it's, it's unfortunately a very, very common. And we can, and boy, if we had, if we had countless hours, Chip, we could talk about the health benefits of, of the staying engaged and in remaining relevant in, in the career, in, in the work world. The, another key point I want to make that kind of is now kind of misplaced, but I want to, I want to say because I think it's important. The, the, one of the true beauties of this whole thing here is that there's really no competition, right? If, if you're guys of our age, I'm not trying to be a CEO of some hot, hot new startup. That's not who we are anymore. It's not really what we want to be. And so that, that's, we, we don't pose a threat to that younger generation who who still is aspirational and wants to grow and move up the ladder and become members of the C-suite, they don't see us as threats. They see us as trusted advisors, trusted elders who they can rely on for counsel and don't have to worry that we're trying to get their job. I and mean, that's a big part of this too. You mentioned that several times in the book. Yeah. I mean, it's I, I, the thing that's interesting to me about this whole process of writing this book and getting the message out there is it's almost like this is is already out there in the world. People already believe this, but there hasn't been sort of a message endorsing it in a way that says, okay, yes, um, I want to leave a legacy. Yes, I want to be relevant in midlife again. And, and uh, yes, I could even call myself an elder. 
but not but realize that in calling myself an elder it's not coming from a place where I want someone to revere me so I guess I don't know I would just sum up Todd in thinking that the idea that the world is gonna start looking at age in a new way makes a lot of sense when in fact our whole approach to thinking about what your age is 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 shifting um, because you know our longevity in the US was 47 years old in the year 1900 and it moved to 77 years old by the year 2000 we added 30 years to the average person's life in a in one century so it's not surprising that the blender of our age is getting really blended up in all kinds of new ways. Well, I guess that's a good way to wrap the conversation with one final discussion. The way you frame it up in the book is that you, in essence, have two choices. You can retire or you can rewire. So, I mean, I guess the, the start of that conversation, I'll say, I mean, there's always this someone always thinks they have the, their career peaked at a certain point. And that was, was the great old days. And boy, I was never more powerful or more appreciated then. And it just went downhill from there. I, I guess what you're saying is you can rewire yourself and that peak may still be ahead of you. That's right. For those of us who think that our best times are behind us, they're probably right. Yep. But those of us who imagine that the best times may be ahead of us, I would just say, you know, you create the best times. You, even in the most difficult times, you can have some best times. So much of it has to do with your mindset. So part of the thing we do at the Modern Elder Academy is we help people with their mindset. And that's why they get a certificate in mindset management when they, when, when they graduate. So all I can say is um, I hope that my book, Wisdom at Work, helps people to shift their mindset around their age. Well, I can speak as for myself here, Chip. Uh, my 40s were a long slog. I'm coming out of them now and had a lot of good good points, but I had a, eh, probably the lowest points of my life happened in my 40s and, and have begun to turn things around and, and I'm on a different path now. And I, have, for most of my life, I feared the 50s big time. Oh, my God, I'm old and downhill. I, I am so excited about my 50s. It's not even funny. And this book kind of helped crystallize my thinking and helped me understand why I'm potentially feeling that way and, and then how to do that better. So thank you for, for putting uh, this important work out. Before I let you go, Chip, uh, should anyone uh, want to connect to you in some way, learn more about your work, uh, and most importantly, get uh, their hands on a copy of this book, let alone your other ones, where do they go? Best thing probably is to go one of two places. Uh, my website, chipconley.com, C-O-N-L-E-Y. And there you'll see information on me as well as this latest book as well as the Modern Elder Academy. Um, and I write a lot on LinkedIn. I have a LinkedIn pro profile, of course, and you'll see a, a variety of my articles there because I, I found that to be a really great medium to get the message out. Outstanding. Chip Conley, the original founder of Joie de Vivre Hospitality, now a strategic advisor with Airbnb and the author of several books, including the new one, Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. Chip, it was a great pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks again for stopping by and joining us. Thank you, Todd. All right. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for tuning in and listening. And again, on behalf of my guest, Chip Conley, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you again soon on the Intrepid Way podcast. Thank you for paying attention to today's conversation. 
You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and most podcast apps by searching for The Intrepid Way. And to support our work, we would certainly appreciate a rating and review. To learn more, check out toddschnick.com. That's T-O-D-D-S-C-H-N-I-C-K dot com. We'll see you next time.